Amen. You may be seated. The best life does not grow from the soil of comfort. The best life does not grow from the soil of ease or relaxation. Action throws us into discomfort. It makes us exert effort and try the unknown to live by faith and not by sight. You see, the resurrection of Christ propels and empowers us to act, to embrace discomfort, to deny ourselves, to reach for the unknown. This is why the Apostle Paul calls Christ's resurrection in his letter to the Ephesians, the resurrection power now. It changes our course. It transforms our life. It takes us back to the beginning. It's the day of creation. In the remaining minutes, I want us to observe how our Lord's resurrection changed everything. I want us to learn the character and the fabric of Christ's resurrection. May we learn the means by which we shall rise. May we learn the fire that must consume us. May we learn the messages from our Lord that are most comforting and captivating. So let us pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, here we are again on this Easter morn. But may it not just be a routine. May we truly see you and savor your glorious work. May our hearts be moved. May the fears of the world dissipate. May we see your glorious character that is Good for us. May we hear the comforting message. May we see the loyal love that you have for your disciples. Yes, Lord, move us today. May the words of my mouth, may the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your strength. You are our Redeemer, O Lord, our Rock. Amen. So the first lesson that we learn is that the glorious majesty of Christ at the, at the resurrection, we see that he is glorious and he is majestic, that he is the conqueror, that he is the Christ. Look at the glory and majesty of Christ at this resurrection. Look with me in verse 2. There was a great earthquake and that an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. He didn't need the help of the angel. No doubt that he could rise by his own power and that he did rise by his own power. The point is not even his glory, actually. The point is his character. 
This is what we see here at this resurrection story. We see the very character of God. It pleased God that the resurrection would accompany many signs and wonders. Why? So that he may make his good news known to all. So that everyone might see and hear and know of his good news. You see, God shows his great love by causing the earth to quake, by using an angel to roll back the stone, by sending forth a word from the angel. He is making known his character. You see how Christ's resurrection is a pledge, it's a sign, it's a token. That we should hold dear. We should guard it. We should meditate on it. We should cherish this essential doctrine of the Christian faith. The grave could not hold him beyond this appointed time. And it will not be able to hold us either on that wonderful day. Just as an angel was a witness of his resurrection then, there will be an angel that will witness our resurrection on that blessed day. Yes, on our resurrection day, we will have a renewed body. We will be like our head, Jesus Christ. Our body will be real and true and material. We will not be floating on clouds in heaven. We will be reigning over a new heaven and a new earth. And we should take comfort of this. We should find strength in this. Trial, sorrow, and persecution are often what we experience here on earth. Sickness, weakness, and pain often hurt. But remember that our good times are yet to come. Why? Because of the glorious character for which Christ reveals in his resurrection. And so let us wait patiently, for we will have a glorious resurrection one day. It matters little when we will die and where we will be buried and what kind of funeral we will have. We cannot prevent death. And none of this matters in the end. Because Christ has conquered death. You see, the real question that we should ask is not when, where, or what, but how. How? How will we rise again but by the glory and the majesty of of Christ, by his character, by his resurrection power now for us. Secondly, look at the terror that Christ's enemies felt. Look at the terror that they felt. We read in verse 4 that the sight of the angel. By the sight of the angel, the guards trembled and became like dead men. These were Roman soldiers, tough. They were used to frequently experiencing the horrors that would cause other men to tremble. But this time they saw something that made them tremble. Their courage melted at once. When they saw the angel of God. Here we find an image of that which is to come. 
On this resurrection day, we find a sobering admonition. What will the ungodly do on that day when Christ will come in his glory to judge the world? What will they do who do not believe in him and honor him? What will they do when they see all the dead coming forth out of the grave? What fears and terrors they will have when they find that they can no longer avoid God's presence and must meet him face to face. Yes, here on this resurrection day, we find a sobering admonition. One may feel confident in himself. He may even think that he's a good person. But when faced with the Almighty's holiness, his true self will surely be exposed. On that day, Jesus will come, not as Savior, but as Judge. And we see the terror. We see a glimpse of the terror that will be experienced on that day. So may we know that there is a resurrection and that there is a judgment and that there is still time to be saved. May we know this. May we grasp this important lesson to be learned that we must Just as the proverb says, fear the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom. Yes, may we be consumed by the fire of God. Or the fire of God will consume us. He comes to us not in judgment now. He comes to us not like Isaiah experienced with the seraphim took the coal and burned his lips. No, he comes to us gently and lovingly, sweet and savorly. So take hold of Christ today. Take hold of Christ now. Thirdly, look at the comfort of a compassionate God. Look at the comfort of this compassionate God. We're told in verse 5 that the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Peace. Goodwill. These words were spoken with profound and deep meaning. They echo the words that have come Before, when the angel met Mary and Joseph and said, peace, goodwill, do not fear, do not be afraid. They were meant to bring comfort and joy for every generation. These words are meant to be remembered and to take hold, taken hold enough. They were intended to remind every Christian that they have no need to be alarmed. What a message. We don't have any need to be alarmed. It's easy to live life filled with anxiety and alarm. And we have no need to be alarmed even in these last days. With the chaos all around us, politics unraveling, the economy unraveling, the wars breaking out. Child of God, we have no need 
to be alarmed. Because Christ has risen. So whatever may come of the world, we must hold dear that Christ will keep us safe. He will keep His devoted followers safe and protected and satisfied. He will give us the courage that is necessary for the tasks at hand. We should not overlook the reason why there is no need to be afraid. It's because the messenger of the Lord detects if Jesus is truly sought after. That's why there's no need to be afraid. You see, the opposite could have happened if the enemies of the Lord would have come to the tomb first. You see, when the world will be confronted with the resurrected Christ, all hearts will be exposed. There will be no fooling our Lord and His angels. For those who seek Him, they will find safety. But those who do not, they will tremble and tear. So we must start training now. We must bend our hearts and our wills to Christ that we might learn to love Him. That's right. Learn to love Him. If we are to love Him, we must meditate on Him. We must reflect about Him. We must enjoy Him. We must learn to love Him. How? Well, the answer lies in seeking Jesus who was crucified. It doesn't say seeking Jesus who performed miracles or prophesied or provided words of wisdom. The one whom we must seek is the one who hung upon that cross. When we see Christ there, we will see not only him, but we will see ourselves. Forever to see the work for which was one for us, then we must see ourselves and that dreadful situation. You've heard me say before, there's no knowledge of God without the knowledge of self. When Christ is seen upon the cross, we are struck with the reality of who we are. So we must see Him. See what He has done for us, what He has won for us. Our hearts are exposed and our longings for relief are deeply known when we see him there on that cross. But there's not just knowledge of ourselves. There is knowledge of the mighty one who longs to rescue us. It's because he first loved us that we can love him. Yes, our Lord could not stay upon the cross. He could not remain in the grave and he will not remain apart from those whom he has saved. He will return to fully complete the work for which he began in us. Notice the tense of the phrase that gives the woman or the women reason to not be afraid. Notice the tense. It's in that imperfect tense. It is that tense that signifies a happening in the past with ongoing effects into the future. This is happy news. This is blessed news. This is good news. For all of those who are confronted with sorrow and trouble, hear this news. So whatever vexes your hearts and your souls, 
May you hear the words of our Lord's messenger and be comforted and inspired. Inspired to cling to his promises, to hold on to them, to remind yourself of them, to preach to yourself these promises of God. Hear these good and comforting words. He is risen. He has risen. He has conquered death. There is hope and promise. He's no longer dead and crucified. He was crucified and dead for a time, but he has risen and is alive. Nothing else can provide such comfort and strength and promise and hope as these words can. Everything else pales in the face of his wonderful work. Seeking after Christ who was crucified may not be easy. It certainly requires difficulty, but it will give you an abundance of safety and satisfaction. And lastly, look at the loyal love of Christ. Look at the loyal love of Christ. He appeared in person to the women who had come to serve and honor his dead body. These were the last women at the cross, the last people at the cross. And now they are the first at the tomb. You see how loyal our loving Lord is? These women who had no voice in society are the first to speak of this foundational Christian doctrine. The resurrection of Christ does not need powerful men to propagate its message These blessed and seemingly insignificant women were the first to see him. And they're the first to carry the good news of his resurrection to his disciples. Notice how loving his first thoughts are to those for whom he loves. Look at verse 10. Not only does he not overlook the marginalized, In society, he grants them peace. He says, do not be afraid. And look how he is concerned for his disciples who have scattered. He says to the women, do not be afraid and go tell my brothers. Go tell my brothers. It's easy to overlook, but don't overlook That word, brothers. It's profound. It's touching. It's simple. But he says, my brothers. However weak and frail and erring as they were, Jesus still calls them my brothers. He comforts them like Joseph did to his brothers who had sold him. Despite their shortcomings and infidelity in following their Lord, Christ still calls them brothers. Do you see the character of God? The loyal love, the chesed love. The steadfast, constant, loyal love of God. He comforts them like Joseph did his brothers. He didn't leave them. He didn't abandon them despite all their flaws and failures, their infidelity. No, he accepts them. 
You see, we do not to be accepted. No, we do because we have been accepted. That's where our good works come from, is pondering and grasping and embracing this glorious good news that because He first loved us, we have love for Him and for others. Look how glorious our Lord is, the conqueror over death and hell, the evidential Son of God, yet He is meek and lowly of heart. He still accepts His disciples as brothers even when He has no reason to. He does not need them to establish His church on earth. Just as He rose from the grave, He could certainly found an alternative to establish His church He does not need their loyal devotion to fancy his ego or to soothe his insecurities. He is God. He has no insecurities. And his ego needs no encouragement. He has no need at all. He is impassable, as the church fathers said. He doesn't need them. He loves them. He's the covenantal God of the old and new. He's the I am of the Old Testament. And he is the one who was and is and is to come of the New Testament. He is the loyal, loving God who fulfills. He's the one who John writes of as the God who is love. This is why he accepts his disciples after they had betrayed him. So may we find comfort in the first loving act and words of our resurrected Savior. May we be encouraged to trust and not be afraid. For He is the one who never forgets His people. You may feel alone. You may feel isolated. You may leave this church and go home and find yourself all alone there again. But He does not forget you. He knows you. He loves you. Trust in His promises so that you might know His love for you. Many years ago, I heard a preacher say that there is nothing that we can do to cause God to love us any more and any less. And I've shared this before. He loves us perfectly, completely, because He is the God who is love. And this is why He calls His disciples brothers, and this is why He commissions and blesses the women at His resurrection appearance. He may know our weaknesses, but He will not cast us away. If you sincerely repent with true faith, turn to Him. Christ's resurrection then is your resurrection power now. It is His faith. It is Jesus, the revealed, resurrected Christ, believing in and through you. We see this in John 20. John's account of the resurrection. We see the four witnesses who seem to be doing anything and everything but walking in faith. They're running in the opposite direction. They're hiding in the upper room. They've abandoned everything, like Thomas. He's nowhere to be found, but Jesus finds Thomas. He walks through that door in the upper room 
when those disciples are filled not with faith, but with fear. And when Mary is running in the opposite direction and then comes back and filled with sheer grief and is weeping, Jesus shows up and she doesn't even recognize him because she is so beside herself. It's not until Jesus calls her by name that she sees him as the revealed, resurrected Lord. You see, the point is that Jesus is believing in and through you. That is what faith is. It is the revealed, resurrected Christ believing in and through us. You need not to muster up a faith to be able to walk out obedience. You just need to cling to the promises of Christ, the resurrected Lord. And He will believe in and through you. Yes, walk in obedience. Come to church. Hear the Word. Feast on His supper. And let Him nourish your heart and strengthen your faith. And mature you into His likeness. Now this may be puzzling for now, but when we cross that heavenly threshold, all will be revealed. We will not be puzzled. We will not be perplexed. We will not be confused. Because we will see as He sees. We will no longer see our loving Lord through the lens of our flawed and feeble selves. We will no longer see ourselves at all. Now on that day, we will only see Him. His righteousness will be fully revealed. His glory will be fully held. His love will be completely known. So that it erases the slightest memory of who we were with the reality of who He is. Yes, Cling to the revealed, resurrected Christ and His resurrection power now. Hold on to His promises. And you will see Him. Amen.